Open your Bibles to James chapter 1. I want to read verse 9 through 11. And if you would, stand with me for prayer and then the reading of God's Word. Let's pray together. Now, Heavenly Father, we come in Your name to hear Your Word about riches. Give us wisdom. Lord, save us and deliver us from the cultural war of greed and envy. Deliver us, Lord, from those false philosophies and ideas that teach that all men are equal in the sense of gifts and graces and that, Lord, we can have by not working and that what we have makes us, Lord, in some ways special. Correct us. Lord, lead us in the paths of righteousness. Lord, for your namesake we do pray. Amen. Verse 9, beloved of James chapter 1. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation because like flowering grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. And thus ends the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Now brothers and sisters, as I've already mentioned, we live in a day where where the cultural war that rages around us typically in the social realm of politics, is that of class envy, a politics of greed and envy. It seems to be a popular notion and idea for uh, politicians to incite those emotions in us and desires within us that often uh, that cater to greed and envy by promising things they shouldn't promise. They have no reason the promise and that is what most of the time we can have what others have received through hard work and effort and God's blessing we can have it too even though we don't put in the hard work time and effort now we need to know how to think as Christians and we need to know how to address these social issues in our own day now, we need to think like Christians, and we need to, you know, not only do we need to act like Christians, which we would all say amen to, but we need to think like Christians. And this is what James is so helpful and important to us all. Now, the first thing I want to point out in the text is how James uses contrast to bring this, these two situations to our attention. Notice we have the poor brother and the rich brother to contrast. We also have the contrast of proud and humility, being proud or prideful in this good sense of the word, where James tells the lowly brother to, of humble circumstances to glory in his high position. Now, he's not promoting this idea of sinful pridefulness, but where the rich are typically proud, James uses that word to describe the lowly. Let the lowly brother be proud in his circumstance. 
And we talked a little bit about that last week. There is something very real and important when, when, when you're put into the circumstance of neediness. Neediness. Dependence. Which the poor are in many ways. They look to God. There is a reason why the church has always appealed. The gospel has always appealed that a loving God sent his beloved son into the world. He derobed himself of that glory for a period of time, incarnated himself in human flesh, born in a manger. That appeals. To the poor. It appeals to those who are needful. They understand by the simple reading of Scripture that God cares for them. And that God will meet their needs. There's a reason why Jesus taught us that it's easier for a camel to thread the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter heaven. For the rich are typically proud and arrogant and, and deceived. And that's why we read Psalm 49. Now, brothers and sisters, James wants us to see the contrast here. Let the lowly brother be proud of his, his condition. And notice what he says. High position to the lowly. He, he reverses the roles, if, we, if you will. He helped and he does this as a literary device to cause us to go, wait a minute. Why would the lowly be proud? Why would the lowly see their situation as a, a high circumstance? Why should the proud be humble? I mean, the rich be humble? Why should the rich be concerned about being fragile? Isn't his wealth a strong city? See, James uses this device to get our attention. He actually wants us to pause and spend time thinking about this. He he uses this device in order for us to go, wait a minute. Poor, high, rich, low, proud, humility. Wait a minute. What am I to think about this? And he does this in order so we will pause, spend time reflecting on the role reversal. That's what he wants. He wants us to spend time pondering these things, praying about these things. He wants us to spend a moment, if you will, seeking God's wisdom. There's a reason these two come after this exhortation to ask for wisdom if we lack it. And it's because, well, both of these circumstances require an abundance of wisdom. And it's important that when we ask for wisdom, as James has already taught us, that we are not double-minded. And it's important that we recognize that it would be easy easy to be double-minded as a poor person or a rich person when we ask God for wisdom. I mean, as the poor, right? You would go to the Lord and beg for wisdom, but but with the temptation of what? He's not going to answer me. Look at me. I'm poor. I'm of a low condition. The Lord's not hearing me. I'm nothing. That is this self-deprecation. 
is not useful. Now, we are low, but self-deprecating is a whole nother matter. The rich could go and ask God for wisdom. Well, that's because that's what James said. That's what the preacher preached this morning. But you know what? I don't really need the Lord's strength and encouragement. I don't really need the Lord's protection because I have lots of money to protect me. Double-minded. And the Lord's not going to give him wisdom because he's double-minded. So it's important that when we find these situations or what we think about these situations is that there is a certain attitude the poor must have and yet there is a certain attitude that the rich also must have. And then we're going to address, brothers and sisters, the wisdom to the rich this morning. Now, what I, first thing I want to bring to our attention is that the rich do, are, the circumstances that the rich find themselves in lends itself to many temptations. Now, we just read Psalm 49 again, and I want to bring that out, and that is there are a multitude of temptations that are there for those who are wealthy. And we need to be mindful of this. There are a special set of temptations that come along with the circumstance of riches and wealth. And we find that all throughout Scripture. Now let me, let me help us understand something here. Nowhere in the Bible does it ever say that, rich, that, that riches ought to be avoided, that it's extremely sinful and wicked. Don't. Have money. No, the Bible doesn't say that. Nor does the Bible ever say, in all that you do, just be poor. The Bible never says that poverty is the best circumstance to be in. Never. As Christians, we need to see this, the wars that rage around us over class envy and greed, we ought not participate in. We ought to speak against both. The exaltation of the poor in order to punish the rich and the abuse of the rich to the poor. We all speak against both. Because both are wrong in God's sight and they ought to be wrong to God's children. There is something very true about envying the rich that is wicked. And there is something very true, and James even addresses the abuse of the poor. The rich often are guilty in their greed for more and to keep what they have is to abuse those who have not because it's easy to do. Very few people come to the aid of the poor, the Bible says, yet the rich have many friends. We're Christians. We are God's children. We are God's family and God's people. And we are to recognize that we have both types in our ranks. This brother who is rich is a brother. He is part of the family of God. God has not discriminated against him because he's wealthy. In fact, he has become the object of God's favor by granting to him this wealth. The circumstances he has are given to him by God. Remember what we read in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Where does poverty and wealth come from? God. It's God who raises up and brings low. We need to remember this. 
These are providential circumstances. These are according to God's will and God's decrees. God's decree. You are to recognize, recognize that the rich brother is to be mindful of his circumstance as coming from the hand of God and not be tempted to be like Nebuchadnezzar that all the good that's happened has come from his own efforts and hands. It's often, brothers, that we find ourselves... I mean, how many times have we gloried in our own gifts and talents? As if somehow they come from us or somehow we cultivated them to the degree they have. That, that we fail to give God recognition that we are who we are. Male, female, black, white. No matter what. No matter what. Let me say this about race. I, I do not believe in racism. I believe there's one race of people made in the image of God, come from Adam and Eve as our first parents. I believe in tribalism. All of the, all of the segregations, all of the tribalism, whether it's rich and poor and black and white, Hispanic and Asian, all of this is nothing more than tribalism and prejudice and favoritism that the Bible speaks against. There's but two families in the earth. There's God's family and everyone else. And as God's family, we need to know how to think about these circumstances and these situations that we may find ourselves in or be in now. It is not a secret that God gives to some men larger portions of abilities and talents and prestige and money than he does others. It is, it is for God to give these things, and he does give these things. He places one man in a favorable position over another man. Now that doesn't mean that that gives that man the right to abuse the other man. In fact, brothers and sisters, what I want to point out to you, it's the rich brother that finds himself under the great scrutiny of God's justice. He who has more given to him, more is required from him. And yet we find ourselves in a day and time where the pursuit of riches is the name of the game. The collection of more and more and more and more over character, piety, and integrity. What the Bible does say, it's better to be a poor man with integrity than a rich man and be wicked. That's what it says. It doesn't say be poor instead of rich. It says it's better. That is, if I have no option... Meaning this, if the only option I have is to sell my soul to the company store and to become wicked and notoriously evil and sinful in order to be a part of that social organization, I should rather choose poverty instead and not sell my soul to the company store. That's what the Bible is talking about. Our God knows it's 
a temptation when the world stirs up class envy. We often fall into it. We often forget our religion, so to speak, and get caught up in the cultural melees of darkness and sinfulness. And we got to watch it. We got to be careful of it. Listen to what one commentator said. It says, He gives to one man larger intellectual possibilities than to the other. In His providence, He places one man in a more favorable position than another for the development of his energies. Fortunes may vary according to abilities and opportunities as well as in connection with causes which entail personal responsibility. He says the brother of low degree finds his poverty a trial. It tries his body by exhausting it with labor. It tries his mind by placing obstacles in the way of his acquiring knowledge. It tries his heart by limiting narrowly his enjoyment of luxury of giving. It tries his temper by wearing out his patience and inclining him to be fretful and sarcastic. He sees himself as lacking and he sees others as having. But the rich brother has his trials also, the commentator says. Trials arising from his riches, the temptation of wealth are more serious, more serious than the poor, because they are more subtle than those of poverty. The rich man's mind is often distracted with the care for his money and he finds that it is a great that he finds in the end that a great fortune is slavery. You know why? Because he's taxed constantly thinking about his money. How much is the stock market making me today? What's my savings account doing? I need to move it from this to that. He spends all of his effort and time addressing his riches than what? Than using it for his own luxury and for God's glory. Matthew 25, there's the scene there before the throne of God. And in this scene, the Lord addresses the sheep and the goats. Now I want you to understand something about this scene that Jesus describes for us. It's a scene where there are two groups of people. Those who are blessed to know God as the family of God and those who do not know God, that are not part of the family of God and how he addresses the the non-family of God. He says, listen, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was in prison and you didn't visit me. I was sick and you didn't come to me. Now, brothers and sisters, let's look at that scenario because that scenario does require effort and resources. I mean, if all I, I mean, if it takes every single second of my time to try to eke out a living, how can I go visit the sick? How can I go to the hospital? How can I go to the jails? How can I, how can I buy, how, if, I'm, if it takes every bit of my energy and effort to make enough money to provide for the food of my own family, which I should do, how can I go provide for someone else? 
It's not an exaltation of poverty and He doesn't exalt poverty and say, listen, you should really strive to be poor. No, He says, listen, you didn't utilize your time, effort, and resources in order to bring aid and refreshment and strength to the suffering saints. He looks at the family of God and He says, oh, you came to Me when I was naked and you clothed me, you put clothes on my back. I was hungry and you put food on my table. I was thrown in jail and you visited me. And I was sick and you provided for me. When did we do this, Lord? I'll tell you this much, and this much is true. As you've done to the least the least, the lowly of these. You've done it to me. Now we have a contrast. We have the Lord Jesus saying those, guess what? Those who were in need were lowly. They didn't have money to buy clothes. Why were they naked? They didn't have money. Why were they hungry? Maybe they lost all their land, part of the despoir. They were being displaced because they believed in Christ. Nobody would hire them because they were Christians. When did we do this, Lord? When you've done this to the most lowly, you did it to me. Jesus identifying with that class that nobody, listen, nobody wants to be a part of. The rich suffer great temptations to hoard their riches, to see their riches as their fortress. But brothers and sisters, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the strong tower of His people, not riches. I pointed out the frailty of riches last week when I, when I, when I had you sort of remember the house of David The house of David, the kingly house and line of David. What do we see in Mary and Joseph who were part of that kingly line of David? We see poverty. We see a family that once held great honor and power and and with multitude of riches. Think about Solomon who sat on a gold throne. Now, a family that's giving birth in a manger who can't even afford to have one hotel room for the night. The commentator goes on and he talks about the weariness of riches, the misery of riches, and he calls this misery a boredom. He says, you know, where the rich are so enthralled with their own fortunes, they become weary with them and bored He's especially in danger in allowing his spiritual life to become corrupted by his abundance. You see, when he possesses, when the rich man possesses so much in this life, his tendency is to forego his spiritual life. It's to allow his poverty or his riches to corrupt his integrity, to corrupt his sanctification, his spirituality. It's like the rich man in the Gospels 
that looked around and saw all of his wealth and blessing and he said, listen, I'll just tear down my barns and build bigger barns. He had so much money, he could tear down good and useful barns and just build bigger barns instead of taking the excess of what he had, which he would never spend, and use it to the glory of God. And you remember the story, right? What was required of him that evening? His own soul. And what does Jesus do when he tells this story? He says, you fool! You fool! You focused on the blessing and not the blesser. You focused on what I gave you instead of the most precious thing I gave you and that's your soul which will live for eternity. That's why the Bible tells us, brothers and sisters, that faith and salvation is better than gold and silver. How much would you pay for your soul? How much would you write a check for right now if you could redeem your soul? Now, you can't do it. Remember Psalm 49 says, the rich man can't redeem himself, much less his neighbor. But if you could, let me ask you this. How many of us would withhold? Right? I want to keep a little, I got to keep 30% back for myself. Keep 10% back for myself. Would you empty the bank account? Would you sell your car? Would you sell all your clothes but one pair? Sell your watches, sell your rings, sell your necklaces. Would you get rid of everything that you possibly don't need, don't use, don't, I mean, things you want to redeem your... What do we have the pearl of great price for? The parable in the Scriptures. When the one who finds the greatest treasure of all, which is the glorious good news of the Gospel, what does that person do? He goes out and he sells all he has to buy it. That's the picture. We have, we have here the situation of what's more valuable than the other. And for the rich man, the temptation is to value his riches or her riches over that which is the most precious and most valuable, which is God's glory is the most valuable. God's glory over your soul. Mm -hmm. God's glory first. None of us are worth God's glory. God's glory is primary. Primary. That's why Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and then all these things will be added unto you. God's glory is first. God's kingdom first over your kingdom. God's glory over your soul. God's glory over your comfort. God's glory over hardship. God's glory over any of the circumstances you might find yourself in in this life. A wealthy man is prone to the high-mindedness of his self-sufficiency. In the book of Deuteronomy, Israel is seen as a, a nation with the temptation of growing fat, growing thick, growing obese, Deuteronomy 32, 15. And what happens when the nation of Israel grew fat and obese, if you will, off the luxuries and blessings of God Well, the Bible says that they forsook God. They abandoned God. 
atheism become more appealing when they had an abundance. But when they were nothing, when they were impoverished, when they were slaves in Egypt, they cried out to God for help. Deuteronomy tells us that God warned them through Moses as they were about to enter the promised land. He says, listen, when you go into the promised land and you eat from vineyards you didn't plant, when you eat from the fields you didn't plant, when you live in houses you didn't build, when you partake of all of these blessings that you had no hand in, be careful, be careful, be careful that you forget me and not obey my commandments. For I'm the one that brings you into this good land flowing with milk and honey. And I am the one that has blessed you with all of these blessings. Now brothers and sisters, the world would have our children pursue riches as their occupation. But I'm here to tell you there are, we should be cautious about becoming rich. I wouldn't say forego becoming rich as the Lord blesses the work of your hands as He increases your investments, as He causes your job security to grow, as He causes you to be a blessing to your employer and you increase in all that you do. Guess what? By God's providence and wisdom, you've been granted a multitude of, of wealth to do for His own glory and your good. But to pursue riches, oh, there's great, great, great temptation. In the pursuit of riches, there's the foregoing of your own soul that's why Paul said with the love of money the love of money is the root of a multitude of sin and he had to warn preachers of all people right he had to warn preachers against the love of money there's a lot of preachers I believe that are guilty of the love of money and they stand in pulpits and they won't preach the truth fully, fully because they don't want their salary cut. They don't want to lose their salary. They don't want to lose membership. There's a lot of men in the pulpit that would dare not challenge their congregation with the cultural wars because they don't want to upset anyone. And brothers and sisters, that's nothing more than a That's nothing more than the love of money. Whenever we choose not glorifying God over some form of financial security, we are guilty at that point of the love of money. How does the rich, what wisdom here is offered to the rich brother? Well, first of all, notice what the text says. The text tells us that he ought to glory in his humiliation. You know, church is not the place where class envy should exist. For we are all one at the foot of the cross. <laughs> no one is going to go to heaven based upon how much money they made or how much money they have. And no one's going to go to heaven based upon what they don't have and what they've lost. 
Only those who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, only those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, only those who have repented of their sins and turned from sin to God are going to heaven. Psalm 49 points that out to us. Oh, foolish, rich person who thinks they can buy themselves all the comforts in this life and the next. It won't happen. Notice one thing that Psalm 49 pointed out, and I thought this was good. It said, oh, you who name your homes and your lands after yourselves. You know what? One of the things that the, the propensity and the temptation of the, of the rich is that their name lives on forever. That the work of our hands remains forever. It doesn't. Only God's work remains forever. Everything we build, brothers and sisters, decays. Our family names are fragile. And there's nothing substantive about our family name other than our service to God. And anything substantive about our family's name is related to the name of Jesus, the name above all names. Now, brothers and sisters, listen. The Bible tells tells the rich to glory in his humiliation. Now, to do that, the wise is the, 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 if, if the rich person is going to have wisdom in this life, he's going to have to divorce himself from the philosophies of this world that, that speak of his greatness and example. Okay? That is, if, listen, a man should be an example if he's a man of high character and integrity, not of his possessions. We don't exalt men or women based upon what they wear or based upon what they have. We exalt men and women based upon who they are. Character. Integrity. Purity. Virginity. Pure of heart. That's what Scripture highlights. We must be Men and women of pious character, of a high piety that only comes by the indwelling of God's Spirit and an understanding of the Scriptures and the Bible, the Word of God. He is to be humble. The text says, the rich man is to glory. That is, he should be proud in his humiliation. That is, he is to understand that he is no better, no worse than his poor brother that he's worshiping next to. That they both have equal access to the glory of God and to God's eternity because of Jesus' sacrifice, not theirs. The sacrifice of Christ. He's to glory in his humiliation. He's to be reminded. And the best place to be reminded of these things, brothers and sisters, is where the word of God is honored. I mean, if I was a rich person, I would not want to be in a church that wanted to build halls and name them after myself. I want to be in a place that honors God. I want to be in a place that reminds me of my frailty 
I want to be in a place that reminds me that providence is the, is the circumstances come from God and not my own doing. I want to be in a place that brings glory to God and not to the, 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 the names of men and women. There's nothing wrong with honoring people, but there's something, everything wrong with honoring the wrong kind of people. And if we're honoring them for their riches and solely for their riches, we've done a great injustice to the glory of God. The Bible tells us that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The Bible tells us that God owns everything. That all, He possesses all things. And yet, how has God used His riches? In bringing Himself glory, He decided to save wretched sinners who hated Him. Who opposed Him. He decided to use His glory, His riches, His power and authority to interject into this world His glorious blessed Son that He might come forth and live as a true man and give His life a ransom for many so that by His poverty we would become truly rich. See, the rich man is faced with the reality that this life is so much more than money. It is so much more. That the joy in this life, the joy, the happiness, the, 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 the luxuries of this life are not all about air conditioning. It's not all about the fine and nice clothes. Nothing, nothing inherently wrong with any of that. But it has to go beyond that. They're blessings. And blessings come from a blesser. And that blesser is the God of all glory. And His Son is Jesus Christ. Who is the only Savior of all men. You see, beloved, He must learn... That he must glory in his own soul more than his riches. He must glory in the kingdom of God more than his riches. He must glory and strive for the blessing of God's name more than his own name. Rich men love to have their name, they love to have their name put on things. That's what Psalm 49 talks about. Rich people love to have their names plastered all over stuff. And that's an infection. That's a contagion to true piety and integrity of character. When first and foremost, he ought to be concerned with God's name. Because it's God who gives riches. And it's God, brothers and sisters, who take away riches. Think about Job. Job was a wealthy man. And God took all he had away from him to make a point. And to demonstrate that it's God who is to be believed in, trusted, and rested in. And it's God who has the power to give wealth and to take it away. And that's what Job said. Naked I came into this world, naked I leave. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Listen to what this commentator said. He says, 
It's not necessary, at least in ordinary circumstances, that he divest himself, divest himself of all his goods for Christ's sake. It's not necessary. Rather, it is desirable that the capital which he drives, that drives the wills of our commerce should be at the hands of Christian men, provided they use it rightly. But the poor believer, or the, but the rich believer should give liberally out of his profits. He should be a servant of servant to his brethren. He should constantly remember the divine giver of his posterity and finding it that it's hard to carry out the full cup that God has given him. And he should pour it out before the Lord. The greatest honor that can be attached to a rich man, the greatest honor, listen, the greatest honor that can be attached to a rich man is that he's a humble Christian. Don't you love the picture as, as, the, as the rich man uses his wealth to bless the Lord and his kingdom? It's like a cup that's runneth over. He keeps pouring it out, but what's God keep doing? God keeps pouring it in, pouring it in, pouring it in. And the, and the rich man just keeps pouring it out, pouring it out, pouring it out. Humility is in his case particularly beautiful and becoming. Why? Because he has everything to boast about as the world sees it, right? He has everything in the world. He has all the fine cars. He has the finest house. He has all the fine clothes. His children have the finest education. They've got the finest medical treatment. I mean, they are the envy. They are the, the epitome of what it means to live this life in the lap of luxury. And yet, and yet, what beautifies the rich is not his possessions, but his humility. I have had the privilege of meeting wealthy people that I believe are humble Christians that love God and love His kingdom. Sweet people. We certainly need more of them. The commentator says when he realizes when that is the rich man, when he realizes his own guilt and sin, he ought to feel more humbled that God's providence is filling his lap out of the luxury of plenty. I don't deserve this. That is when he sees the guilt and he sees the, the when he knows the, the depravity of his own mind and heart, when he sees the depth and the gravity of his own sin and his own unrighteousness, the very first response is I don't deserve any of this and yet God in his grace and mercy gives it that's humility humbleness notice what the text tells us again it says not only should he be humble but look at what it tells us he should be humble why he should be humble because like flowering grass he will pass away for the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. The picture here is interesting because James promotes it in the past tense. That is, the rich perish in the midst of their pursuits. It's in the midst of their endeavors. It's in the midst of all of the things that they're doing. They're cut off. And he describes the rich man like grass, like flowering grass. And the idea here is this 
sort of Middle Eastern wind that comes that's so hot because of the sun that the grass and the flower comes up and that, that, that flower blooms and the wind is so scorching hot that they only last a day and they, they swivel up and die. So the rich man is like that. Now we are all like that in one sense, right? But he's, he's emphasizing the life of the rich. Why? Because they have everything. We're going to live forever. We're going to freeze our bodies. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to have all of this research. We're going, we can do all of these things because we have unlimited or lots of resources. And the Bible says, come back to reality, my friend. Your life is fragile. I heard one Presbyterian preacher. He was a doctor, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a medical doctor. And in preaching a sermon... He began to address. Um, he began to address the rich, and he said, in all of his days of being a doctor, he said, when a man and he was dealing with the disease of tuberculosis, he says, you can take the most wealthy person in all of England. That's where he preached. That's where he was preaching. He said, I can take the wealthiest person in all of England. And he will give you every cent he has to be able to catch the next breath. He says, you take a man's breath. And you take his life. And he said, when you can't breathe, you will give everything you have for the luxury of breathing. A grasp of God's air. Fragile. Now, brothers and sisters... We're all decaying, but how much more the rich man who has the mentality that they are going to live forever, they're going to put their names on everything, and their names are going to live on and on and on and on. Not so. The Bible says that the house of the wicked will be forgotten. The Bible says that the wicked store up their wealth for the righteous. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The things that men and women strive and fight for and give their souls for, they won't even inherit. The meek will. The meek will inherit the earth. They're like grass and flowering grass that springs up and they are, they perish along the way. Now, brothers and sisters, let's be serious and both the poor and the rich are close to a lot of temptation. But the rich, the rich are tempted beyond ways that the poor are. They're tempted to be high-minded, arrogant, haughty. They're tempted to have an elitist mindset. Now, the poor may be tempted with greed and envy. But brothers and sisters, I'm going to hear tell you, I don't know what you would choose, right? I hope you would choose integrity and character and purity over riches. But I hope you will work hard. And I hope you will seek the blesser. I hope you will honor God's name and He'll bless you. I hope you will use what you do have 
for God's glory. I hope that we will all learn to use all that God has so blessed us with to bless His name. That we would all be wise in the midst of our pursuits and remembering what we have today can be taken from us. It can be taken from us. You may be rich in health. It can be taken from you. You may be rich in friends. They may all turn against you. You may be rich monetarily. In 2008, a lot of people lost their riches. The downturn. A lot of people lost all their savings. A lot of people went bankrupt, lost their houses, lost their jobs. They would find themselves in a place they thought they'd never be. The sad part about it is they did it all without the Lord. Brothers and sisters, let that not be true of us as God's people, God's children. How we face these two circumstances, let's do it with integrity and character. We may find ourselves impoverished. Let us be high in character, integrity, glorifying God. We may be rich and be in many different ways. Let us not forget where they come from. Let us be humble. Let us be of high character. Let us be wise. Let's pray.